Welcome back guys. For our second session or our anniversary special, let's make this more interactive. Today we're having a discussion on leadership in this Q&A with Pastor Kevin Lu, founder of Collective KR. So you happen to be a fashion designer, uh, a painter, yeah, they're about. Uh, a chef. For my friends, yes. Okay. I don't have a restaurant. An author. Wow. I, yeah. and, and a pastor. So how, how do you, when, you, when you have to you know, talk to people about yourself, where do you start? Uh, it depends who I talk to. Um, if I'm out there in the, in the marketplace, in the society, uh, not among Christians, uh, I try not to introduce myself as pastor first. Uh, because, not because I'm not proud of my calling. Uh, I am very proud of what God has called me to do. Um, I don't introduce myself as a pastor because sometimes the moment you say you're a pastor, all the communication are all limited. They won't tell you any other thing, right? <laughs> so I don't want to be that kind of person that nobody wants to talk to me about their life or things that they go through. Uh, so it depends. If I see that the person is more inclined to fashion, I would just say, hey, you know, uh, I, I do fashion. Not that I'm very famous yet, but you know, that's what I dapple with. I like clothing and all that. Um, if, I, if I meet creative people, uh, maybe not in fashion, I'll probably tell them I'm, a, I'm an artist, I paint. Uh, but I rarely say I'm an author because I don't think I'm a good author. Uh, I haven't perfected that skill yet. It's still a, a long way to go compared to art and, and fashion, which is a lot easier for me. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I try not to introduce, unless I'm, I'm really good at it and my, book are, uh, my books are really bestsellers. So I try not to do that for now. So I, I leave that out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, so when did you start leading? Oh, interesting question. Um, I, I started leading when I was maybe 15 or 16. Um, I'm, I, I, I knew very well right from the very start, I'm not plan A from God. I'm not plan B. I'm not plan C. What happened was I was in a youth group and the youth leader told me that, hey, Kevin, all of us are leaving. We are going to another city to study. You are the only one left. So you have to lead the youth group. To me, to be honest, I was 15. I was young, a bit dumb. I thought, why not? That's cool. So, so uh, I don't know. You tell me. What, what plan am I? And we had a few people left in the youth group, but we had so much fun. We are, we are trying to walk with God. So, so that, that was my story of leading when I was uh, 15. Wow. That was it. Wow. And, and of course, you've come a long way now. You yeah. know. This year, we were there and uh, we celebrated 18 years yep. for Collective. Yep. So uh, kind of t help us understand the, uh, or, you know, the journey of Collective, of how it kind of began for you. Uh, our church Collective uh, started 18 years ago in my living room with about 10, 12 uh, young adults who are in college and university. Um, I think, not I think, we were not sophisticated at all 20 years back. Um, we had no vision. We have no idea what we were doing. Uh, we had no pastor over our church. I was the only guy. And all we wanted to do was to help our city know Jesus, to, to be a blessing to our friends uh, in the best we know how. And so we have no vision. We, we, have, we don't understand what is church covering. We don't understand anything. So we just wanted to love our friends and let them know Jesus. So that was all how we got started. Um, 18 years ago with 12, 15 people. 
I, I can't remember how many actually. So, so after that, um, we started to grow. Um, we went to a school hall. Uh, that's where we really broke through. So from 20 people, we grew to about 120 people wow. in a school hall. Wow. And uh, in the first three years, I, I realized I could save a lot of money. Uh, I never knew as a person I could save so much money because uh, I, I never had savings in my life up to that point. But when it came to church money, I, I suddenly got really paranoid. Like, <clears throat> this is not my money. Don't, don't simply buy anything, you know? If, it, we, if it's not broken, if you don't need it, nobody knows that we have changed something new, don't spend the money on. So in three years, I save up almost close to one million ringgit. One million ringgit is about 250 US dollar. Man, I save up. 250,000. Huh? 250, what did I say? 250,000. Uh, 250, uh, US dollar, US dollar. Sorry, sorry. They weren't impressed when you said 250,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, what's wrong with him? Like, he really cannot no save money. Like, so I, I save up two, but, but 250,000, it's four times in Malaysia. It's crazy, a lot of, crazy lot of money. I don't know. I, I just kept saving. So when, we, when God opened a door for us to uh, rent a permanent building, uh, we rented a warehouse that sits about 500 people. I used those money for renovation, for the lighting, for the sound, for, for, for the video camera and everything. So, so in that small little warehouse, we started to grow from 120 to 200, 400, 800,000. And after that, we moved to our current building, which is like 10 times bigger, uh, 10 times harder work. Wow. And we're still trying to pay off the debt. But, but it's good. It's a, it's a journey that I think mature all of us yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. And, and I love the, the story that you brought in about the building. Uh, it's probably one of the most creative spaces that you can ever, you know, visit or, or take a look. I think it's got two futsal courts, yep. uh, an auditorium that can seat about 1,800 people. 15, 1,200. Okay, 1,500. Yep. Uh, then you've got two more auditoriums. Yeah. Small. A lobby, yeah. a, a cafe, a gym, gym, a working space, yeah. ample parking Wow. And, not, not and some, some shipping containers that they use for all their small, gro small group meetings and team meetings and things like that. Yeah. Did I miss out on anything? Spa. Spa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming. coming. <laughs> you know, but, but you know, all this started somewhere. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure people who are sitting over here, it sounds so interesting to hear all this. Yeah. But you, you mentioned two simple words, vision and goals. And I'm sure a lot of us over here would would have heard this, this framework or these thoughts. You need to have a vision, you need to have dreams, you need to have goals. So as you have, as you have journeyed in this past 18 to 20 plus years, yep. what are your thoughts on some of these words? And Kaysen, feel free to you know, jump in. Kaysen, you want to say something first? <laughs> you know, when it comes to words like dreams or success or failure, let's take it, let's take it one by one. Okay. What are your thoughts on success? Both, anyone? You want to go? Okay. Uh, okay, I... I think after so many years being a pastor and trying to lead the church and all that, um, we actually went through a big slump um, after we got our church building. Uh, we worked so hard to move into that place. Uh, somehow something didn't click and we were still finding what was actually happening. Um, that was when one day when I was driving the car, uh, I heard a voice. I can't tell you for sure it's God. But a thought came into my head, says, so when does a dream die? 
when does a dream die? I was, I was driving. I was driving to another city to speak. And uh, maybe I was too long in the car, so I started to hear myself. And, and I say, yeah, dream dies when people get old and uh, say don't be too idealistic and, and be real, be practical. Uh, dreams die when you give up, when it becomes too impossible. That's so why I said that. To, I was talking to myself. It wasn't even, even uh, verbal, right? It was all in my head. And suddenly, that, that thing that was in my head says to me, a dream dies when it comes to pass. A dream dies when it became a reality. What you're experiencing right now is that you guys work so hard to move into the building. Now that we have moved in, people lost momentum because the dream has already come to pass. So, so, so I tried to, to, uh, to be able to continually dream new dreams. Otherwise, you know, I don't want to be a place where we're always stuck before we do something stuck yeah. and then we, we do something. So if you ask me, what's dreams? Dreams, it's really do whatever you're doing now, doing it well, the rest will follow. It's just a bit overrated sometimes. Like, like if you're a st student, study hard, study well, excel. If you're a business person, work hard, go to work, do sales, cut deals, do well. And, yeah. and I, I don't know, I, just, just, if I'm a speaker, speak well, that's it. I, I can't be like, oh, I hope one day Kizan and I will go to, you know, Madison Square Garden and speak. Like, oh, what's that? If it happens? Very soon. Nice. I never had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never, I never too, you know. Yeah. Yep. Dreams, uh, success and vision. I think we, we hear these terms a lot when we talk about leadership, when we talk about success. And just a word on success. I think it, it, it definitely differs from person to person because all of us have, first of all, different dreams. So if, I'm, if, so if I'm achieving your dream, I don't think I'm successful. Wow. Right? Wow. I got to achieve my own dream. But to add on to that, I think success should always be measured in relation to someone else, at least in the context of us as a body of Christ, as yeah. church, as, as people, as leaders. It's, uh, so during this afternoon, during the worship team session, so I was talking about what kind of team player do you want to be? Do you want to be a team player that just plays well? Or do you want to be a team player that when you're on that team, everyone else plays well? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. church is a team sport. Yeah. Business is a team sport. Yeah. So I want to be a team player, a successful team player, that not just plays well, but causes everyone else to play well. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So that's how I would see success. That is, as in, did I bring someone else with me along the journey to be successful together? Or else it's going to be, you're going to be successful but lonely. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't think we all want that. And one of the things that we talk about a lot as a church and collective, um, we all have a vision. But visions change. When your vision or when your dream dies, you need a new one. And you can have a new vision every year in that sense, right? Okay, once you achieve that vision. So the word that we talk about a lot more nowadays is culture. Because culture is pretty much our corporate lifestyle. What is the lifestyle that we want to achieve as a, as a company or as a church to achieve that vision? And uh, I always use the, the example of having abs, you know, or having like a six pack in your body, going to the, you know, you want to go to the beach, you know, you have a beach body. Vicky, you're laughing, you're like, do you have that dream? <laughs> Yeah, so all of us have had those kind of dreams. Uh, Niraj's right? dream died. Niraj? Yeah. <laughs> You're living a new dream. 
eight, eight packs, packs now, yeah, right? Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, my gosh. It sucks, man. Eight packs. I'm like, not, I'm, I haven't even started on one. But what's going to get you to the I dream is, is what's going to get you to that vision is not when you focus on that vision, yeah. but it's when you focus on your lifestyle, yeah. on your personal culture. You know what? Let's forget about a six pack for now. Let me just concentrate on going to the gym three times a week. And let's just see where that gets us. Oh, yeah, you're laughing right now, right? Because that's tough. And that's where gyms make a lot of money. In January and February, everyone signs up for the gym. And after February, they stop going. <laughs> right? And they start going when? The next January, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would say for us as a church right now, as a team, the word that we're talking on a lot more, and not just talking, but trying to build, is really culture. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Cool. Wow. Hey, feel free if something really excites you. If you want to clap, if you want to shout, this is our place. Okay? Uh, what I remember you should from ask my, question, not just shout. From my, I know. From my, from my first interaction with you, Pastor, I remember you saying this, and Neeraj was in tears when uh, Raj, Neeraj, and me met him for the first time. And this, this was exact sentence that kind of you know, uh, you said two statements. One is uh, a dream dies when it comes to pass. Right. The second is trust the process. Yeah. yeah. Very important. You trust the process, right? Uh, dreams are great, but habits are more powerful. Yep. That's it. That's it, right? You don't, you don't go to gym three, three times a week. I don't care. You can, you can post Arnold Schwarzenegger's body on your wall. I can tell you can look at it. Uh, you're not the sheep in the Bible that belongs to Jacob. Uh, you will not get that body. You understand? If you're not willing to wake up in the morning, go to the gym, control your eating, be disciplined with what you're supposed to do, uh, it's not going to happen. And, and Kaysen said something so well. I want to be in a team where I help everybody place better. Yeah. When, when we started Collective Global, because it was a mandate by God for us to plant churches, um, not to have the most, the biggest movement in the world, but to connect with like-minded people like you guys, like Ninad and Raj and Niraj. When they came, we were connected and straight away we knew we were going to do something. But if you realize our church is called Collective, the movement is collective global, but your church is zealous. You, you guys are 100% belong to us. We are 100% belonging to you. You understand what I'm saying? But, but we don't do that, uh, that corporate thing. This is collective Pune. Because we want you to own this dream. We want you to take possession, take ownership of this, of this land. And it's like people like Kaysen in the team and the rest back home, that as we talk, we, we come up with ideas like that. People still cannot figure out, why, why don't you just call everybody collective? Because in some places, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I'm not here to, to, to push our brand. I'm here to win lives for Jesus. Come on. And, and you, you have to be here because you want to help someone to get to know Jesus. You're not pushing a brand. You, you, you get what I mean? So, so that's secondary to us. Um, helping people to know God is primary. Um, yeah, so, so those are some of the way we think. Uh, it's not easily replicable, but it's a journey. Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process, guys. So, you know, for someone who's got maybe a dream, someone who's got a vision, or at least thinks that he or she has a vision, what's the first step that you, that you would recommend I know there's no absolute answer to that, but from some of your learnings or some of your journeys. Let's, let's talk about your journey as a, as a painter. Yeah. 
what are some of the first steps that you took? Because you need to, I think we're going to dive into a bit of your journey as a, as a painter and how that's been for you. Because that's something that you've done outside the four walls of the church, right? The, the first thing about a dream, if you ask me most practical, is to wake up early tomorrow and go to work. There was silence in the room. You, you get what I mean? It, right? Yeah. Just, just <laughs> get up early. Go to work earlier than everybody. And finish wow. your work. Wow. That's it. I, we, Is that we, simple? Yeah. Sometimes, right? You know, this guy designed the, the wordings of the, our podcast of Dreamers and Doers to have our mind. You say it better. You, you wrote it. <laughs> to have our heads in the clouds and our feet firmly on the ground. It's so easy to have our heads in the cloud. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is have your feet firmly planted on the ground. I, I never set out to become a famous painter. I painted when I was young. I stopped painting because I was very busy with church. And then I started painting again because I was in, in, a, in a very down time. I wouldn't say depression, but it was just a very bad time in my life. I wasn't doing well. I painted because I couldn't sleep. And, uh, and then one day, I just got this idea to paint for our church. I did it and I gave everyone a piece of my painting um, as, a, as our fundraising campaign. Uh, people started putting it on Facebook and people saw it and then people want to ask, people ask me if I want to paint for a hotel. In short, I say yes, and it took off. And all the money that I earned from that painting, every single cent was given back to the church because it started off as a desire to raise funds for the church. It wasn't for me. And, and so, if you ask me, uh, so did I go to a meeting like this in India, walking around, see, you know, Vicky you know, doing all the, uh, all the properties with Trump Towers, you know, kind of like push my name card and tell him about my work, get him to sell my art. I, I don't do stuff like that. It's not me. It's not my job. You he know? might after this. Yeah, he might after <laughs> this. But, but it, it, I, think, I think a lot of people feel that I have a dream. That's what I want to achieve. So, so we, we, we want to network with people. We try to push ourselves out there. But maybe before you do that, uh, go to work early. Perfect your craft. Do well. If you're playing the guitar, practice. You know, I, I can tell you, if this guy leads worship, he will be like in his office writing the songs and practicing, praying, asking God, you know, is it in line with the, with the message that the pastor is talking about? It's just by doing that well, people don't invest into an idea. People invest in the Creator. People don't give to a foundation. People give to the founder. You, you have to get this clear because why, why would Warren Buffett gave most of his wealth to Bill Gates? Because he trusts him that he will not steal his money. He has more money than him. You, you get what I'm, I'm saying? So, so, yeah, that's it. Get up and go to work early. Go to work early. Go to work when you're supposed to go to work. Trust the process, right? Perfect your craft. Perfect your craft. Practice. Yeah, so <laughs> in line with that, um, I think when we talk about dreams and visions, we always think that it's something really, really far ahead. And uh, God willing, we'll live a long life and those things will indeed be really far ahead. But it always starts with the next step, right? Yeah. So I, I understand there are, there are perhaps uh, some uh, non-Christians, uh, people who are not part of this church, 
in this room right now, but there's a part of the Bible that says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah. If, you, if you look at that, um, a lamp doesn't really shine very far ahead. It is just for your next step. Yeah. And then after that, it's just for your next step yeah. and the next step and the next step. Okay? So I think the important question is, yes, why do you wake up early and go to work? Because that is the next step. Yeah. Because if you don't take the first step, you can't take the 97th step. Yeah. And, we, and sometimes we worry too much about that 97th step, right? Because you know why? Because that is dreaming and that's when your head's are in the clouds and that's the fun thing. I find myself, I, I mean, I admit it, I find myself doing that a lot. But I got to remind myself, hey, what about my feet firmly on the ground? So one of the mantras, you know we have a lot of mantras right now in Collective as we, we plan for our future, we talk about our future. So what's, so what's the, the, the two phrases that we always repeat after we talk about something or when we meet about something or when we get excited, we plan something, we always ask ourselves, what is the one thing, what is the next step? So tonight, when we meet here, I, I hope that all of us will leave this place knowing, okay, after tonight, what is the one thing yeah. that I learned tonight? Yeah. What is the one thing? And then what is the next step yeah. following that one thing? So just keep, keeping, keeping that in mind all the time in whatever we do with our dream, of course, still there, plastered yeah. on the wall. But what is the one thing and what is the next step? Yep. Yeah, I think that's wow. really helpful. Wow, come on, guys. That. Uh, and both of us are actually the most similar in our team. Uh, George's wife, Sarah, is like the opposite of the two of us. And she hates us because she always thinks that we are the one that always keep things in the cloud. And so, so are you guys the big picture guys? Always? We are the blurry picture guys. <laughs> <laughs> we are what? The blurry picture blurry guys. Picture. So, so there are five of us in the leadership team. And this is what I mentioned to another group as well. So there are five of us. So two of us, we, we, and five of us live in different time zones. So two of us live in tomorrow. Yeah. And, you can't uh, find me now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not and, here. And there are another two of us who live in today. So they're the ones who are, hey, okay, great. You know, great idea, Kaysen, but yeah, so what? What do we do today? <laughs> and coincidentally, both of them are engineers. And one of them is his wife. And one of them is his, his wife. <laughs> Which makes it the boss. <laughs> yeah. So there's another guy, another George, not this George, another George. And we say he lives in yesterday. Uh, not because he lives in the past, but I would say he's someone like, sort of the guardian, yeah. the guardian of the principles. He will be asking questions like, what does the church do? What is the church supposed to be? Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> we didn't plan it this way. We didn't, like, okay, you know what? You live in tomorrow. Okay, you're part of this team. You live today, you're part of this. No, I, I guess it just happened that way. And I just thought about it. Wow, we all, the five of us, we live in different time zones. And I guess yeah. it, it, we keep each other in check, but we also frustrate each other a lot. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that's one good gauge of your leadership team or the team. Do you all frustrate each other? Yeah. Do you all annoy each other? Oh my God. Do you, do you, do you get time. angry with each other? Because yeah. if you don't, because if you don't, then perhaps there are too many similar people on yeah. the team. Yeah. And you need some kind of different voices in that particular team. Um, yeah. can, can you all realize this? When, when we say that um, we didn't intend to have the five people in our leadership team um, design it that way, we discovered all of us are different along the way. Yeah. Which means you don't need all the answers in life to take the next step. Yeah. Yeah. You, wow. you just need enough to yeah. take the next step. God, God loves you. He, he's, not going to, he's not waiting for you to make the first wrong move and then try to destroy you. It, it doesn't work like that. This life is not like that. So, so we, you, you think it's funny. 
But we have to live through that hardship of discovering the five of us are like constantly fighting sometimes. My wife will be like, oh, very nice of both of you. Uh, all your ideas, who's going to do it? I don't know. Kason is like, ooh, don't ask me. Like that, you know? So, yeah, but we discovered our, our team strength is like that. Um, we are not telling you tonight, go and find five people in your team, two of tomorrow's, two of uh, today's, and two of yesterday. No, 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 no. That's what we yeah. discovered. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure in this journey of yours, whether, whether your journey as a, all of these, whether painter, painting, book writing, you know, fashion not design. Not Okay, Stop not very long. Okay, okay. Let, how have you handled uh, disappointments or, or failures? You know, what have been certain things that have really shaped? What are certain failures or disappointments that have really shaped your leadership journey? Uh, we have to realize that pain is not at the end of the fight. Pain is part of the fight. Yeah. You, you think that, oh, it's so painful now. That's it. It's over. No, no, no. It's a part of the fight. So, so dealing with disappointment, it's not nice because that's the emotional part that is not nice. But when that emotion wears out, it is time to wake up and say, okay, why do I get criticized? Um, when you're a pastor, you, you hardly get criticized. Even if you preach bad, people will think, oh, that was a good word, sir. After all, it's the word of God. You know, what, what, can, <laughs> what can they say, right? It's the Bible, man. Like, was something wrong with you? So, so... It, they, they, they can't say that, right? But, but when I step into the, the art world, man, I got brutalized. Like, some guy will tell me, if you're not a pastor, nobody will even buy your painting. So who do you think you are? <laughs> See, you're laughing at like, my calamity. Like, but it was because of that that I got that idea of perfecting your craft. I could have chosen to give up, I could have chosen to, to stop painting and chuck all my things away or I continue to perfect my craft. That whole message on perfecting my craft came from a criticism of somebody. By the way, the guy didn't even look at my painting for Christ's sake. He didn't. He just came to my place and said, I, I offered him coffee, right? We have a cafe. He said, I'm, I don't like coffee. Oh, wow, great. Have some tea then. So he picked the most expensive tea and... And, and then he looked at me, he just spent five minutes and said, if you're not a pastor, nobody will buy your painting. And then he stood up and he walked away. He was a, he was a curator of an art gallery. So he's influential. But I, I took it in my stride. I continued to practice, work on my craft. And uh, I broke through after that, you know. So, yeah. So let the emotion wears out. When the senses come back, ask yourself why people criticize you. Kaysen, do you have similar stories? Um, <laughs> I'm not a painter. <laughs> I'm not an author. Uh, I'm a musician. So, yeah, come on. Yeah, okay, my brother there. Yeah, Gaurav, right? Yeah, you changed. You're fresh right now. Okay, <laughs> okay. So those of you who, who have learned playing guitar or bass or one of those instruments, you will know how painful it is when you start playing the guitar, okay? It's painful. But I would like to say that, I won't go too much into the stories and all, but I would say that um, if there's no pain, there's no progress, right? And I think the question we should be asking ourselves is this. If we find ourselves at any point in our lives where things seem to be too easy and too smooth and too pain-free, I think we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing with our lives? 
if it's really too friction-free. Yeah. yeah. Wow. While, while we're still on that perfecting your craft, uh, I remember the story because I just got heard about it recently. Uh, the prayer painting. The prayer painting, yeah. So you want, want to give us... Yeah. Uh, so because I started this journey I, uh, of painting, uh, one day <coughs> a very good friend in ministry um, told me that the wife was <coughs> down with... Uh, it's okay, I got water. Down with a breast cancer. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So I, I drew lines on a canvas. Lines basically, one. You, you get I me? Mean? So as I draw the one on the canvas, the canvas is white, the brush is black. I mean the ink is black. As I draw the lines, I pray for her. <coughs> I spent about six hours to finish the canvas. And at that time, I just kept on praying. I said, God, please help her. Please deliver her. Please heal her. Do whatever you can. They're so dear to us. You know, let nothing harm her. So I did that painting. So I look at it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So, but it was for her. It was my prayer to a friend. I framed it up and I shipped it to Singapore to, to give it to her as my gift. So, but I posted it on Instagram. So many people asked me, what was that painting all about? And uh, I thought, this is not special or interesting or whatever. I just painted this for a friend. And uh, wow, wow. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So because of that uh, painting that I already gave away, now a, a bigger art gallery curator, bigger than the guy that told me, if you're not a pastor, nobody will buy your painting. Uh, um, so she came, saw my painting, and she was looking for that particular painting. And she came to church, and she was looking at everything that was hung on the wall, and except that painting. She said, do you know, I travel all the way to look at that painting. I'm like, wow, all the way was 20 minutes, okay? <laughs> <coughs> but she was the most influential art gallery owner in Malaysia. What can I say? I said, I'm so sorry. I said, which one are you looking for? So she looked at the, the little catalog that I have that my staff put together for me. I want this one. I said, it's not here. I gave it away. Whoa, she started yelling at me like, why you gave your painting away? You're not this rare. I was shocked. Then, in my fear, I said, I gave it away because it was for a friend. And then she asked me what was the title. And this was when that crisis of my faith uh, was at its peak. It's called prayer, but because I was so, yes, uh, not this one, that's a new one. The original one is not like that. Uh, the, sorry, so, so because earlier the guy says, if you're not a pastor, nobody will buy a painting. I dare not tell this curator that I'm a pastor. <laughs> so she came to church. She didn't know it was our church because it doesn't look like a church building. And uh, so she said, what it is? I said, rhythm of life. I wanted to change that top title. And then I couldn't. I, 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 even though I was fearful, embarrassed, conflicted in my soul, everything you can think of, I said the word prayer. And she was surprised. Why is it called prayer? I said, because my friend contracted breast cancer. It was so difficult for them. I felt so hopeless. 
All I could do was to pray and I did that painting. She was not a Christian, but she cried. She said to me, she said, Kevin, I promise you. Because she was very influential in Malaysia. She made sure a lot of Malaysian artists uh, get commissioned work by LV, uh, Louis Vuitton, and all these big players in the market. I, and then she cried. I was stuck. Like, now it's me and a lady there in the room and she's crying. <laughs> and then she said this to me. She said, don't give up on what you're doing. All right, continue to paint. And she said this, I promise you, if you have done a body of work on this painting, uh, I will take you to any exhibition that you want in the world. And she said this to me. She said, a lot of people can paint, but not everyone has a message. You painted and you had a message. And, and all, all these things that I put together to form that message that I preach about, the three spaces in our lives, came from uh, defeats, criticisms, and breakthroughs that I experienced with different people. And these are all people that are not belonging to the church. So they shaped those messages in my life. So today, I'm the champion of telling people to, to perfect your craft, carry the message of Jesus, trust the process. And uh, these are the things that if you want to do well at all, start from there. And uh, you will see where you will go. Right? Wow. Kaysen, anyone offered you shows? So the painting that I did. <laughs> so I think I think a couple of questions and, and then maybe we'll ask, you yeah. know, yeah. if anyone has Are you guys questions. okay? Yeah. Can you understand our accent? Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. Otherwise, we're just talking to each other, you know. <laughs> Uh, this is this is one of the very interesting questions that was uh, shared with us, yeah. and and then maybe from here we'll start on into if you guys have any thoughts or questions on whatever you have heard so far, we can take some few yeah. questions. Yeah. So, uh, how do you navigate decision making in a world that is increasingly polarized on issues, and how can we avoid alienating people, the ones who we disagree with? Wow, this is such a case and kind of a question. <laughs> yeah. Threw me under the bus. Again. And then roll over. Can I, can I just read it? <laughs> it's a very good question. Uh, how do you navigate decision making in a world that is increasingly polarized on issues? How can we avoid alienating people we disagree with? Okay, can I just start with how can we avoid yeah. alienating people we disagree with? Yeah. Because, um, so, <clears throat> I can just tell you what I know from experience. And uh, I used to be someone who, I'm okay with confrontation. I'm okay with arguments. I'm okay with debates. And I'm not too sure about the culture here, but uh, from where we come from, it's not really that, um, that uh, let me think of the right word. It's not really common, okay? Because, uh, I don't know, maybe Chinese culture, we're a bit more reserved. We don't really want to argue for things and confront people. And especially when it comes to a church setting where everyone's supposed to be nice 
and, <laughs> and happy. And then we, we, we speak nicely to one person, one another, and then we go back and we complain. And we, <laughs> yeah. So I think coming from that, um, so I'm someone who is a bit more confrontational compared to a lot of other people that I work with and uh, people in church. Because I always think it's healthy to have these arguments. It's always healthy to have these debates. But my problem was that I elevated the, the status of the idea more than the feelings of the person. Wow. Which means... <laughs> you will get that? Yeah, which means to me, hey, let the best idea win. Let's argue it out. It's nothing personal, right? Hey, Niraj, come on. Let's, let's just argue it out, you know? We can, you know, go all at it. If your idea is better, yeah, let's go with your idea. If my idea is better, let's go with mine. Nothing personal. But you know what? There's no such thing as nothing personal because everything is personal. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, let's, let's be real. There's no such thing as, hey, this is just professional, yeah? Professional, you know? Yeah, no. We are all one whole person, right? I bring my whole person to work. I bring my whole person to church. There's no work mode. There's no church mode, you know? It's just yeah. me. Yeah. Awesome. So, when, when I, so, the mistake that I made was, you know what? Let's argue it out right now. And a lot of times, my ideas won. But is it because my ideas were better? Perhaps not. Perhaps it's just because maybe I argued better. Right, and I won the argument, and, and I realized that over the course of a few years, perhaps I didn't alienate them, but that really didn't make me um, more friends. <laughs> right? And so the question that I always ask myself right now, it's not so much of, hey, uh, when I make a decision, or when I have an idea, is it right or is it wrong? Because sometimes there really is no right or wrong. It's really more about, okay, what gets executed better? And let's just say even if your idea wins and your idea is the better one, to make it work, you need people. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And, 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 and let's take a guess right now. If you alienate someone, if you offend someone, do you think they want to work with you? Do you think they want to make your ideas successful? I don't think so. Because at the end of the day, it's still all about people. And so the question that I ask myself right now, if I want to push for something, first of all is, um, what's going to be effective? Not about whether it's right or is it wrong. But if I go about it this way, will it be effective in the long run? So that's how I go about it right now. And secondly, I think I've also learned over the course of the years to be, to be more empathetic towards people and to have more of the people side of things rather than just, you know what, this is right, this is wrong, this idea, let's go with it. You know, it's all about pursuing the dream or the goal and, and bulldozing people along the way. And you know what, I don't do it intentionally. I don't think any of us really do it intentionally, but sometimes we're just not aware. Of that. So I would say that, yeah, to not alienate people, perhaps first of all, try to understand where they're coming from in the first place and to, 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 to really be in their shoes and to not always think about right or wrong because the world is really bigger than that. It's yeah. just so much more complicated than that. But what is the most effective way of going about things? Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think uh, answering the first part of that question um, in a world that is so polarized, um, how do, we, how do we go about this process of decision-making? Uh, while he was, I was hearing him, I think, I think one very important thing that we all need to be aware of is in the decision-making, the most important thing is the intention of what you want to achieve. Um, I think, okay, let's not talk about all the very sensitive issues first, okay? But even us as Christians, we so polarize other people in the way we talk. Um, sometimes we don't realize because we only spend time with Christians. Some words that we use, so, so 
this guy, yesterday we were traveling. I will not say what, but he said certain words like, oh, this place is a stronghold of certain thing. I'm like, why talk like that? You know, why, why do we speak like this is a stronghold? This, you know, this, it, it, you know, it, it just makes people feel like when, you, when we say words like that, sometimes we don't realize we elevated ourselves <laughs> higher than everybody else. And I'm already in a position that I'm right. You're already wrong. Okay, prove to me. Now, the intention of decision-making has always got to be for the benefit of the people to experience the love of God. That has to be the end game of everything that we do in church. Because if you are not going to love people and people are not going to be, don't feel accepted or belong, why would they want to be with us? And they want to experience God. They have no problem with God. We are such a big barrier just simply by the language that we use. You know, these are outsiders. These are church members. Why talk like that? You know, immediately people are alienated. So, so before we even think about polarizing issues, we have to first ask ourselves, how do we even talk to people? I, I like to be in a, in a place where it is so uncomfortable. I don't know what to say because it would mean every time I'm in that position, I'm speaking to people that are non-Christian. I have to respect people. I have to honor people. I have to respect their feelings. And it's important. And it is really, really important to the point I now become so difficult for Christian. I went to, uh, recently my wife and I, we went to speak at a conference. Uh, the translator, who was very, very good in translating everybody, but he couldn't translate me. <laughs> because I don't use Christian jargons and I, I, I'm very conscious about, you know, uh, words like, can you imagine you're talking to a group of people, they're Christians and non-Christians there, yeah, the flow of the anointing of God. Like, what's that? <laughs> we know what it is. I have no problem with that. I will speak to one another like that. But that's because we know our context. But outside, people don't know what you're doing. So, so rather than thinking about the decision-making, think about the intention behind the decision-making. Wow. Yeah. That's what I'll do. Right. Are we see, okay even, so far? See, even the clap is getting softer. Like, <laughs> I'm not very sure about this guy, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> We're calling you back, don't worry. <coughs> yeah. we, we want them to come back, right? Yeah. Right, okay. Right, so I thought for the next few minutes, uh, we just want to, based on whatever you know, they've shared and whatever we have been discussing, we just thought we'd leave it open. If you have any thoughts, questions, or any suggestions, Thanks for having us. We, we actually yeah. love being here. Yeah. Yeah. I love to hear how he answers questions. <laughs> so next time when I go to another place to answer questions, oh, I remember what he said. <laughs> We're in a team, all right? So the same statement. Nice. All right, any questions? Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, please not too hard, Ken. <laughs> Simple question, sir. <laughs> Pastor, I'm really impressed by what you've said. Oh, wow. Thank Both you. of you. Thank you. Pastor Kevin, I have a question. For, yeah. Not question, actually. I just needed your... How you do... How would you handle or... 
something like uh, it's a answer to a particular situation and i have a a gift for our music gift person wow wow uh, uh, that gift i'll tell you later hope okay. <laughs> so the question is pastor we were talking about dreams dreams yeah related to aspirations yeah now there is something which i have uh, experienced in my 61 year of life yeah that is any climax of aspirations once achieved do you get me i'll explain it further there are certain things you like yeah you wish to do it yeah. desperately you work hard and ultimately when you achieve it you lose the interest in that yeah why does it happen and what is the way to um, handle that uh, kind of a thing i mean uh, once something you have liked so much to achieve in your life and when you get it you feel that that's nothing i mean Are you getting me? Bob? Yes. Perfectly. Thank okay. you. Uh before Kason get his gift. Uh <laughs> I like it. He gets the question, I get a gift. <laughs> okay. Um uh, okay, I think I think that is a very good question. I think all of us have to understand the dynamics of a dream. The dynamic of a dream, the peak of it is not when it is achieved. The peak of the dynamic of a dream is at when you are almost getting it i'm going to use the illustration of shopping okay because it makes sense to everybody uh guys or girls the same you you want to buy something the peak of that emotion is when you're looking for you you found something you like and then you start hunting for it it is the hunting of it that gives you the most euphoria after you bought it the first thing you will think it's it's no big deal after all am i right yes. in fact the 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 dynamic of that dream starts to drop okay the moment your credit card swipe on the machine <laughs> that is when that dream starts dying out and then the ladies will be having a difficult time because they will look at the sari It looks so beautiful in the shop. They went to the fitting room. They tried it. They turned around. They twirled like, "Wow, this is the best sari ever made." And then you bought it. You kind of like on the way home, not very sure anymore. <laughs> so you want to confirm your doubt when you went home. You try on that sari. Oh, the color is different. It's not the same as the shop. because you don't have the shop sliding because the shop is designed to elevate the beauty of that sari right and now you feel like it doesn't make me look good it look you know a bit odd so it's not the sari that is a problem is that you have to understand the dynamic of achieving that dream is actually going down here starts dying out after you bought it to counter that it is not in consumerism to counter that is in producing if you sell something your high can i use the word high yeah. your 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 you for your climax climax 
is in every time the shoe or the clothes that you sell leave the counter, it reach a high. So it is in producing that you achieve greater fulfillment in life than consuming. So don't, don't, don't get it all mixed up. And that is why you lose that, that feeling the moment you got it because you already have it. Let me tell you this. That is why dating works better than marriage. She was your dream girl. You got her. Are you with me? That dream died. You, mar you married her. And that is why you got to work on your marriage every day. You got to pursue your wife and love her every day. There's no secret. There's no Holy Spirit sending angels to protect your marriage, to, to keep your flame alive. Don't be stupid. Just pursue your wife. Okay. I'm done. I hope you're happy with my answer. One more. Uh, I don't know, I'm just waiting for my gift. <laughs> we are waiting for your gift After. to him. I Okay. I think we don't just have to we don't just need to trust the process. But if we can, we gotta love the process. Mm. And uh, that's why we gotta love the pursuit more than the dream. Mm. Because that's what will be continuous. And uh, if we can't really love the process, at least enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. True. Yeah. Because I think, I think it depends on, again, back to the word high. Where do we place the high on that graph, right? If we place it right at the top, then I guess it's a very sharp fall right after. Yeah. So I think awesome. when we... <laughs> they just came up. I don't know, man. I got to copyright that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think we got to put our highs on a different part of the graph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a peak, right? Yeah, because of that. So otherwise, you will always be looking for what's next and what's new. Yeah. And right. you will die. Yeah. It's like an addiction. Right? right? You, you have tried something, wow, and then you want to try something else. It's, it's not supposed to be like that. Mm. It's not sustainable, you know? So, yeah. Thank you, sir. The law of what the law of diminishing marginal utility. Yeah. Thank Can you. We just sir. clap for that. You thank know? you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's where I got the idea from because I did economics in uh, pre-university. I, I, I didn't do a good job though. I was busy painting. The law of marginal. The law diminishing of marginal utility. Diminishing marginal utility. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I remember that. Great. Yes, uh, sir. Thank you so much. So there's a question that probably you could put some, uh, share some things on the secular and the spiritual. And, you know, there's a great divide um, between the faith and the marketplace. So if you can share a bit more about, uh, you know, how um, we can actually carry both of it together. Because we generally have a divide between the secular and the spiritual. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Niraj asked me a question today during lunch when my brother was busy working. I, I better confess all this first so that I can sleep well tonight. <laughs> he asked me, say, 
you're a pastor in India and you met celebrities and you want to reach out to them, how do you share the gospel? That's what he told me. I say, my first step would be not sharing the gospel. My first step would be get to know that celebrity, the work that he has done, focus on what he's good at and getting to know him. That's the rule of every good friendship anyway. They, just because you're a pastor doesn't give you the right to condemn somebody just because, oh, I saw that show. Man, you're so bad. Like, what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> so, so I have to do some homework right, and, and get to know that, 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 that actor or whoever he may be and talk about his work. And it is in getting, being interested in people that is really the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus uh, 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 talked to the woman by the well that was totally wrong. And she was a Samaritan. A Samar uh, yeah, Samar Samaritan. And, and, and Jesus let a prostitute use her hair to wash his feet with some expensive perfume. I think, I think we, we feel like we need to judge the people. They repent. Then you can come to church. We fail to realize that it is getting to know the person, accept them, let them come to church and let their lives change as a result of that because you are genuinely interested in their lives. The person that you are talking to, right, is not going to die tomorrow suddenly. Like, if they do, what can I do, right? I'm not God. <laughs> but, but you don't have to see the person and straight away, do you know you'll go to heaven if you die tonight? Like, who talks like that? Christians. Unfortunately, right? But, but so, so my, my way, it's always get to know the person. So I have my hairstylist many years ago. Uh, I just refused to tell me I'm a pastor. And then because my secretary made that appointment for me, and then some of my church members found out that I went to that guy for my haircut. They went to, they told him I'm a pastor. The second time I went back, he was upset that I didn't tell him I'm a pastor. I'm like, well, you didn't ask. But why didn't you tell? I said, there's so many things to tell you. Why do I want to tell you that? So anyway, it opened up an entire conversation. So now my haircut turns into a counselling session. Like, I really want my money back. You understand? Like, I'm working for this thing, you know? And he got a Caesar on my head. Like, okay, yeah, awesome. Like, so, so, and then at the end, I, 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 I show him through my life. I'm interested in him, in his life, in his family, and everything else. So, so I made my payment and he was very expensive. So it was not practical at all to have my hair cut by him. So when I left, he was really upset now. I said, enough. I've already talked to you about God and my life, my needs. Why you still didn't invite me to church? Oh, I said, oh yeah. Would you like to come to church? <laughs> say, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm coming back for my next haircut. We can continue talking, right? So, so I think... It is not about not sharing the gospel. It's about building human relationships. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is it okay? We are not going to be able to work together if we don't build human relationships. Yeah. Just because, yeah. you know, uh, I'm the pastor, technically I'm the boss, he's the worker. Like, what's wrong with your head? Like, can you love him as a person? Can I love George as a person? Can I love Constance as a person? Love him as a person? You know, yeah. Humans, we are humans. Is that cool? Wow, fast and furious the question now. 
Uh, I would like to Why? use is an analogy. Dusty? No, I just wanted to know whether uh, it's still on. <laughs> yeah, I would like to use an analogy over here. Definitely, the topic is about uh, you pursuing your dream. Uh, as an analogy, let's talk about uh, David. He wanted to build the temple for God. Yeah. However, that was his dream to build the temple. And uh, when he asked for advice, and Nathan said, oh, that's a great idea, go ahead and do it. But that was not the dream that God had or the plan that God had for David. It was Solomon who had to build the temple and not David. However, did, David did take care of the administrative part, making all the logistics ready for his son so that the temple could be built. This is an analogy that I would talk about in these times. Yes, we, there was Nathan at that time. Now, we say we would depend on the Holy Spirit, right? The question that I would have is, many a times you keep praying and you say, Holy Spirit, answer. And you keep praying and praying and praying, praying God. And I think in that process, what happens is, uh, being honest, uh, you're waiting for God to answer. It takes months, right? It takes months. It takes years. And then you feel like probably that's not the dream. God wants you to pursue, but then it is still your desire. It's your desire, right? And then it, it leaves a big, uh, a kind of a void, uh, a lot of doubts, confusion, uh, knowing that it's your desire, but then uh, you're not really embarking on that journey because you're lacking that confidence because you're still waiting for God to uh, speak to you. And I'm talking about these times. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of people like that so what would you like to tell this generation who are depending on the Holy Spirit and, you know, waiting for God to say, yes, your desire is my desire, okay? You desire to do this for me and yes, that's right, go ahead and do it. But people are still waiting for it. So what advice will you give for that generation? Wow. <clears throat> I think they understand the Holy Spirit wrongly. I think, I think sometimes Christians wanted so much God to approve whatever that they're doing in hearing a yes and a no. And we put it into such a, a box that we want to feel comfortable. I actually do not know does God need to validate everything that we do in order for us to be able to go ahead? However, the, uh, hang on. don't we think that we as Christians, we've been told that we need to get confirmation from God. Yeah, I yeah, think it yeah, is, yeah, okay. that's the value, that, that's a mindset that has been created wait, wait, that wait, we need wait, to wait, get wait, confirmation. Wait, 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 See, that's the thing. Which part of the scripture tells you that you need God's confirmation? before you do something? Uh, definitely talks about uh, the Holy Spirit guiding you into all understanding. So has he I'll tell you what, the, the confusion that would come into this, lean not on your understanding. So that's the confusion that rises over here, ah. is lean not on your understanding. So that means, even though if I have the intellect, right, if I have the supporting word of God, yet I am forced to think that I'm not supposed to lean on my understanding, but trust in the Lord. So that scripture, I would take it as, says, oh, 
God is telling me lean not my, on my understanding. That means I need to wait for God to tell me no, that no, no, I no. need to have. I know, I know what you're talking about. But right. the thing is this, trust in the Lord. That trust in the Lord, does that mean God has to every time before you do something, give you a yes and a no? Because the scripture cannot be understood by just one verse. You have to look at the scripture. If you pray and it is to fulfill your own desire, the Bible says the Lord will not answer those prayers. There are a lot of aspects to that. So to me, I don't, I don't want to make it too complicated. I just want to make sure that if I want to embark on this thing, am I drawing myself closer to God? Am I drawing people closer to God? Am I going to give God the glory? If I fulfill those criteria for all that it is worth, He has given us the Bible, the Holy Spirit and a brain I should make that decision. Now, if we judge that decision based on whether it was a success or a failure, then I think we understand the scripture wrongly. Failure, it's part of the journey. Sometimes we feel that if God blessed me, if God already said yes, which means this business cannot fail. But it's not true. So my simplest analogy is this. If I open... Uh, Tandoori. Tandoori? Yeah. Tandoori restaurant, right? I came to church. I prayed for months. I asked God for a sign. I seek God for confirmation. I talked to every single church member that said, you know what? It is really a go-ahead from God. And God even showed me signs from heavens that, that yes, open Tandoori. So I opened my Tandoori because God has blessed it. In my mind, in my heart, in my all that I, I know, it will be a sure success. So my first tandoori store is there. Hundreds of people queuing to eat my tandoori. Oh, praise the Lord. People are buying from me. Next week, somebody opened the next tandoori store. They saw an opportunity. I mean, this is India, right? You open a barber shop, the whole row barber shop. So they open, and then now suddenly, everybody goes to the tandoori store next door. So what, do we, what is the first Christian reaction? Oh no, the Lord's favour has left me. Absolutely. How stupid. Like, you're not using your brain. Like, oh, the, the Holy Spirit has, the favour of the Lord has left me. Oh, maybe I have committed secret sin. Oh, maybe when I was making a lot of money, I didn't give my donation to church. So now, I'm being punished by God. You know what? Maybe it is time to look into our neighbor's tandoori and see why people are going there. Because when we thought that it was the favour of God, maybe we did not work as hard as we needed to to, to, better, to better marinate our chicken. So we think of all these crazy things. In all fact, actual fact, their tandoori just tastes better than ours. God's favour doesn't make people eat lousy food. It's the flavour, not the favour. Flavour. <laughs> you know, that's why I love him, right? You, you, you get what I mean? Sometimes we, we rope God into all these I think God must be very confused, like, why are you thinking like that? You, you, you understand? 
Yeah. So then, what would the what would the principles be? Like you said, uh, if I'm bringing people to uh, closer to God, am I helping people to come closer to God? Yeah. Uh, should I uh, should I take that as an uh, a principle of understanding, so that I am not confused with the scriptures? Keep doing something until you know it's wrong. Can I just yeah? Can oh, I just? <laughs> So we, we lean not on our own understanding and then we trust in the Lord, right? I remember this story. Uh, I hope it's true <laughs> because it involves India. So I read a story where there's this American preacher who came to India, to Calcutta actually, to work with Mother Teresa. And he was sort of having a sabbatical and he was sort of like directionless in life. So he thought he wanted to come to see Mother Teresa to work with the, the poor, uh, the house of the dying. I think that's what it's called. So... When he met Mother Teresa, so Mother Teresa asked him, hey, young man, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, Mother Teresa, can you pray for me? So she asked him, so how can I pray for you? And he said, can you pray that I have clarity? And Mother Teresa looked at him and said, um, no, I won't, play, I won't pray that you have clarity because clarity is the last thing that you're holding on to and you must let go of it. I'm going to pray that you have trust. And therefore, she prayed for him to have trust. So, what I'm trying to say is that which will lead to more trust? Total clarity or actually less clarity? Wow. So, if, if, if I have every confirmation, so-called, every sign on the board that says, okay, the stars are aligned right now, I walk out of here, fireworks, and says, go. And I think that's a sign from God. Would that mean I actually have more trust in God or less trust in God? Or is my trust in the sign, in the confirmation? Oh, wow. Yeah. You see, because God, God I, I think we've got to have this idea of God um, sort of thrown out the window where God is trying to trip us up and where the will of God is just this one line. You know what? I, I came from that background as well. That's what I thought. You know, God, what is your perfect will? God, tell me what to study, God. Tell me who to marry, God. And tell me uh, where, where should I work, God. I came from that line of thought as well. But I don't think the will of God is one straight line. No. You see, Jesus never promised answers in terms of like clear-cut answers. What Jesus promised was presence. Right? He said, Lo, I will be with you always. So it's the presence that creates that trust more than the clarity because if I know something clearly, really, I don't need much trust. I don't need much faith because it's really clear. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. Thank you. And, and it's interesting that you start with King David. So King David had a dream. But he, he didn't build God's house because God said, you know what, you're a man of war, you shed blood, so your son Solomon will build a house. But was it wrong for him to have that dream? I don't think so. Because sometimes we will have dreams that outlive us. Yeah. And it's your next generation who will be the one that fulfills your dreams. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I think, I think, right, I think in that question, which is like my life, life goal to break all this wrong Christian mindset. Because in your question, the clutch is not the sign from God and all that. The clutch is perhaps we feel we are more spiritual if the pastor said go, or we get signs and confirmations. See, I trusted God. But, but as Kaysen explained, you know, it's actually the uncertainty, there's the presence of God 
that help us to trust even more. I, I, I think that's, that's really meaningful. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's also an abdication of personal responsibility. Oh yeah. Sometimes, you know, we want to, okay, you know what, I got confirmation, so if it fails, it's God's fault, right? <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, so I think it's really a, 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 a letting go of our personal responsibility, and I don't think that's, that's how God wants to mature us. And if we look at the patterns of the Bible, I don't think we really see too much of, of signs. I know there's Gideon, yeah? Only one. All right, all right Gideon, and who else? Um, the three wise men saw the sign. Okay, so there are all these signs. But is that really the pattern of the Bible? What about Jonathan who went to fought against the Philistines? He just said, hey, I'm a bearer, let's go. He didn't pray about it, let's go. So even David, I'm not too sure whether he prayed about it before he went to meet with Goliath. I don't think I saw that anywhere in the scripture. But we know from David's life that he was close to God. Yeah. Presence, yeah. right? Presence. Yeah. Which before you actually even make the decision, like once God is with you, I've heard someone say, go unless you get a no. Yeah, I've heard that said before. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and, I, and, I, and I think we cannot attach whether God's favour is with us or God's presence is with us based on an outcome. Because we know from the pattern of the Bible as well, not everybody had a so-called favourable outcome yeah. in their life, right? right? But was God not with them and were they not doing God's work? Yeah. I mean, God is God. That's something that we, 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 we can never say for ourselves. Yeah. But for us, I guess we do what we can and God does what we can and we trust in God and the process. Amen. Yeah. Amen. In, right. in, in our conference this year, in our conference this year, uh, a pastor that we invited to facilitate one of the, uh, the, the what is it called? The talk, Pastor Philip. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the forum. Panel, 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 panel. He said, prayer doesn't work every time. It is God that does. Yeah. It, it, prayer doesn't work every time. It is God that does. Sometimes we, you know, this guy said it in our team night. He said, don't put faith in faith. Put wow. faith in God. Wow. Right? Like, sometimes we just, if we, if we chant this Bible verse enough times, somehow something will happen. Then why need to become a Christian? Gosh, am I upsetting everybody? <laughs> Time out. <laughs> Do you think that we uh, when it comes to even uh, pursuing our dream and success, so I think then it's it's a whole new teaching that has to be that has to be spoken to the youth yeah. because uh, the uh, the scriptures can be quoted and understood and comprehended in a very different manner. Yeah. And that's where I think that we as Christians, you know, uh, we are trying to want to become successful, but then we are not able to look at the uh, the uh, the pragmatic, uh, the process of success. I think. I think. And I think. Uh, I'm sorry. And I think that that teaching has to start from the churches, from the leadership, yeah. teaching that as Christians in the next generation that if you want to be successful, mm. you have to look at certain criterias. Look it into a different pragmatic process, mm. because people who are who has a little uh, orthodox belief in the scripture may uh, bring out a different meaning altogether. No, I think I think that that step that is very the pragmatic step is not the you know like look at us like two of us when we understand the scripture, it is not from one verse or one chapter. 
is in the totality of the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, you want to know what is the heart of God over the issue. So the young people or us as leaders, we have a responsibility to read the Word of God for all it's worth. Not So when you mention words like the orthodox teaching of the church, sometimes it is because the people don't read the Word of God for themselves. The pastor read the Word of God, preach the Word of God, and they hear the Word of God. They actually never read it. So, so you know, I went to a place, they, they thought that the footprints in the sand, do you know that footprints in the sand? They thought that was a Bible passage. Can you, you just imagine how far we've gone backward? Because every Christian home has it. Yeah. But, but they didn't know it was not from the Bible. If all of us would just put in time to read the Word of God for ourselves and understand the Word of God for ourselves because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, it will become, soon become clear that whatever that we are doing in life, because it has to be in congruent with God. Has anyone heard the audible voice of God here? <sighs> no. <laughs> I wish I so, had. So, you know, we, we use these terms like, you know, God spoke to me, you know, I got a confirmation from God, I feel a nudging from the Holy Spirit, and nothing wrong with that. But, okay, what does it look like? Have we asked ourselves, what does it look like to have God spoken to you? Was it an audible voice of God? I know some people experience it, but just based on a show of hands, I guess I didn't see any hands go up. So none of us actually heard the audible voice of God. Okay? If you heard it, maybe it was your grandmother, you know, asking to do something. <laughs> <laughs> you like that. <laughs> but, but none of us. So how does God speak to us? Okay, through His, through his words, right? Yeah. But how does it get into us? How does that voice get into us? It is a very simple concept called your thoughts. It is simply our thoughts. And we always think that our thoughts are separate from God's thoughts. Sometimes they are. But I, I, I would think that that's the primary way, primary way that God speaks to us, through our thoughts. And I think the best way to really make decisions that are really God-honoring or having God's favour on your life is to actually have those thoughts be shaped by God. Yeah. And that's why the reading of the Word of God is really, really important. Yeah. So that your thoughts will be shaped by the Word of God. And then when your thoughts are the ones that you use, <laughs> I mean, you only use your own thoughts, right? You can use someone else's thoughts. And when you use those thoughts to make those de decisions in life, it's not a guarantee, but I would guess the probability of you making a decision based on the principle of God's words will be much higher, right? Yep. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Right. I did not say amen for okay. so long. But Let's take anyway. last two questions. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Is it too hard to digest? Like, we are so not normal. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, we've got Shreyas. Hannah, Hannah is going to write a paper. one more. <laughs> Hannah is my favourite person to pick on in all of India. <laughs> Yeah, Bro? I, I just wanted to ask like if we could increase the temperature for the AC. Did you get a confirmation from the Holy Spirit? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So my question is around like, uh, so if you have one particular dream, that's fine, right? Like when you talk about like your fashion designing, your painting and like, you know, these are all creative processes. Uh, you're passionate towards those things, that's why you can deliver. And uh, when you're working on the creative bit of it, uh, sometimes you want to just go with the feel of it and sometimes you really want to discipline yourself. Uh, finding a balance is like a little difficult. How do you do it yourself? Like do you, how do you manage your time and like you know, do you really discipline yourself to like 
yeah. work on paintings at a particular time and your fashion. Yeah. I want to say in a very simple, clear answer that if an artist say, I don't have an inspiration today, he's just saying, I don't have the discipline to go to work today. <laughs> uh, no, when you are an artist, you realize that inspiration doesn't work from a ding moment and then you suddenly go and, yeah. no. The more disciplined you are, the harder you work, the luckier you become. The more chances of you achieving it. So that discipline, that's for me, you can hear from Kaysen afterwards, but that's for me because, <laughs> because I know there is nothing that is achieved in life without discipline. Yeah. You, 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 okay, let me debunk this, okay? I, I really like to do this because it makes people think and... So I'm supposed to paint. So in a typical setting, I will go to the pastor and have the pastor lay hands on my head and the power of God will fall upon me and I will get up and I will be so filled with the Holy Spirit that I will go to my studio and I will paint this thing that will change the world. God is not a lazy God. If laying hands make it a shortcut for you to achieve everything, I think we have a wrong understanding of God. When, if I have to do something, I have to create something, I have to put in the time. I put in a lot of time to prepare an artwork that I want to do. No, let, let me give you an example. For yeah. instance, you're working on your painting like for say a couple of months now. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, does that really mean that you're not focusing on your fashion at the same time? Oh. Oh, you mean my, 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 my question is not towards the inspiration. It's mostly oh. like you managing all like, you manage know, your time. Managing your time and like uh, if you want to better your craft. Yeah. Like how, how do you How do you it? focus? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Like, yeah, more around time management is what I was talking about. Like, yeah, like, so, see, for instance, like, the first three months of uh, the year, you're working on a painting because you're inspired because of a certain aspect, okay? Uh, but however, you want to design clothes too. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, does it happen to you where you feel like, hey, man, I'm giving too much time painting, <laughs> like, you know, I, I need oh. to focus on my... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I tell you my process, okay? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen one after another. It probably happened all at the same time. Then how do you manage it here? I can be thinking about a painting and I look at some fashion stuff and at the same time, I'm thinking about my next sermon that I want to write. It just works in my head. It just works all at the same time. So when I finally go to paint, I'll just do it in half a day, finished. I don't have painting that lie there for three months, not done. My inspiration is I'm a, I'm a very impatient person. So all my artworks finish quick. So that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. So, so everything happens at the same time. Like, like today, because we lost, our, I lost, we lost our voice, but he has to speak. So the whole day, I spend time reading uh, the book that helped me write my next message. And then in, the, in a little bit of gap, I look at some new buildings, some design, some fashion, everything. It's, I cannot sit down and say, okay, I'm in my fashion designing mode. Oh, I sit down. I'm in my painting mode. No, 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 no. It's, it's the all of me, me. I, I, I do those things because it is naturally me. I like it. So it's not hard. I don't have to... You get what I mean? I do, but in a way, like, if you keep going with the flow, then you would leave, like, one of your, like, you know, things that you're really passionate about behind. I think, um, if I can just... Go, go, go. Butt in. <laughs> I think we don't... And I learned this from... 
Pastor Irwin actually, Irwin McManus, he said he's not a very structured person, but he's a very disciplined person. So that means he's disciplined in honing his craft, but he may not have that structure on a day-to-day basis. Okay, this is like designing day, or this is painting day, or this is sermon day. Uh, he may have it here and there, but, but you know what? I don't think there's a formula. I think the general principles are, of course, work hard, right? Whether you are the discipline type, I'm sorry, whether you're the structured type or the non-structured type, I think there is a discipline to working hard. But I think the key is really to knowing yourself to a large extent because whatever Pastor Kevin mentioned may not work for you and it may not work for me. Maybe you are the type that says, you know what, I can, I can break it up. Five days, Monday is this day, Tuesday is for painting, Wednesday is for sermon. And if that works for you, why not? Because you are you. I mean, you, you can't play someone else's game, right? Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the core basic principles of like the discipline of working hard on your craft. Yeah. Thank you. Right. I think somebody asked. Gordon. Yeah, I just wanted to ask about uh, uh, does rituals, uh, imp- how does rituals and our culture of being a Christian, when that comes into play in our Christian life, where you follow rituals like reading the Bible every day, if you don't do it every day, you you are brought up in that mindset of, you know, you're going to fall sick. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. If you so, don't do it every day, what? Uh? If, you, if you don't do it every day, you're going to be punished. Or if you don't do a particular ritual, like going, saying a prayer before bed, you know, the boogeyman might come get you. So, <laughs> so you know, we are brought up in that ritual. And on a serious note, again, going forward, if you have a certain ritual that we carry from India, if you carry a ritual from India, like say, Haldi ka ritual before a marriage, does, does that make you a Hindu? I mean, uh, it's just a small aspect of a, a marriage, but think question is, will that uh, make us less of a Christian, having those type of rituals impact our, our Gordon, walk? Gordon, are you getting married? I'm not convinced. I'm just saying. These are just uh, questions. It's for a friend. Yeah? It's for He's a friend. Asking for, for a friend. friend. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm okay. asking for a friend. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know that friend. Say, uh, you have to have the house uh, prayed over before we get into the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, and uh, how do I say this? Like I said, simple idiot, things idiot. like praying every day in the morning. That becomes a, it's more than uh, doing it out of passion and love for God rather than it becomes a ritual for us. We have thought as when you're being brought up, it's like you have to do it. Okay. So, Thank you, bro. That way. So, Kaysen, do you have any rituals? <laughs> You made me work this afternoon, so... Okay. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. So, did you practice that? Praying every day? Yes, I did. <laughs> while, while I was growing up. So, I've been taught that way, you know, in case you miss a day. Uh-huh. What will happen? Uh, even if I fall sick, uh, you didn't pray for one day, I believe. So, that's why you've fallen sick. So. Okay. Oh. So, I'm just... Uh, These are some things which... Uh, which have been taught in, uh, in different parts of the country, so that's fine. You are evil. <laughs> um, I heard that, I heard that. You heard that, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I'll get back to that You'll later. You'll get back to that, yeah. I'll let you guys settle. <laughs> you are good. You heard him from that far. I so, think, oh, when, when was the last time you stopped praying every day? It's been a while. You're still here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I understand. There you go, that's my answer. <laughs> That's the answer. That, that's the answer. 
Okay, but but okay, but um, can we use? I okay personally, I think rituals are good to an extent, uh, because rituals, if I don't make a religion out of it, I think that's where the problem is. Because I think religion is about if I don't do this, there will be a consequence of God punishing me. But if you don't read your Bible every day or at least often enough, there's a consequence. Yeah. There, there is. If, if, I, if I don't have a ritual of going to the gym for three times a week and, and if I have a fitness goal, there is a consequence that I pay. So let's not uh, poo-poo rituals totally, right? Because I think certain rituals are good. Like my family, uh, especially when my mom is still around, there's a ritual of having a family dinner every Sunday evening. Will every family dinner turn out to be great? No. But I think because we had that ritual, so out of the 52 weeks of a year, we can have a few great ones. Which we may not have if those rituals were not in place. Yeah. So I think those are really important. But I, I think the important thing is, why are we having those rituals? Is it mindless? Okay, because the word here is actually discipline. And let's, 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 let's not work against human nature, right? Yeah. We are lazy. We always take the easy way out. So having these rituals in place sometimes really helps us with that kind of discipline. And we know we can't get anywhere without that kind of hard work or discipline yeah. in whatever craft that we want to do. So actually, I do think certain rituals are important. But... Because, but if the mindset of it is to sort of discipline us, but if the mindset is more on the incurring the wrath of God kind of thing, then that's where it becomes wrong. Yeah. yeah. It becomes religion. We are ruled by fear. Exactly. So George yeah. just said it's by fear. Yeah. So I think in life, whatever decision that we make, what we do, we got to ask ourselves, am I motiva- motivated by fear or love? Is it fear or love? Yeah. Am I reading the... Sorry? Perfect love casts out Yes. Perfect love casts out fear. Of course. If I love the Word of God, I will want to do it. I don't, I don't read it every day. Let me, let me confess that. Okay, I don't read it every day, but I read it often enough because I love the Word of God. It is not a fear that is motivating me to read the Word of God. Yeah. I want to add to that. Uh, Gordon, is it? Yeah. I think, I think the act itself of praying and reading the Word, he asked why. Why are you doing it? I think the, the biggest problem in some of our Christian life is that we think that the more we read the Bible, the more we pray, the more we gain favor coins yeah. from God. Yeah. It's a score. So I will save up all these favor coins so that one day when I need to twist God's arm, I am going <laughs> to unleash all the favor coins. How do I know? You hear it from when people talk. God, I've served you all my life. Why didn't you just give me this? God, I've been to mission trip. God, I've built your church. God, I've walked with you. Why, why is this not working? No. You see, the whole intention of your prayer time and your Bible reading time is wrong. You pray, the end goal of prayer is not getting. The end goal of prayer is relationship with God. If you pray every day, but you know nothing about your father, why pray? If you read the Bible, just hoping to find that perfect verse, to get you through the day, but you never understand the heart of God, don't read. You waste your own time. We don't read Bible because we're Christian of many years now. We don't read the Bible every day, a bit, a bit, a bit. But now we study the Word of God. I would, I would just take one passage and I will study it for like six months. Verse after verse, looking it into it again. I don't have to jump to every chapter of the Bible to make it feel like I'm more spiritual. No, I've come to a place where I just want to dwell deeper. 
in the truth of the Word of God so that I understand the heart of my Father. If you only know God by the Word, but it doesn't change your life, it doesn't make you love Him better or love Him more and knows that He loves you, I have to question why are you reading your Bible? What are you doing when you're reading Bible? Are you trying to clock the checklist or clock the time? Oh, one hour today. Praise Jesus. I'm going to heaven. You missed the point. So, so you understand? Like, like, like one of these things I try to challenge the thoughts is saying grace. So some people only say, say their prayer when they thank God for the food. But being grateful is a posture. It's not a phrase. Yeah. Father God, thank you for the food. By the way, the other day, I don't know where I went, the guy that said grace prayed exactly the, the same as the guy in Malaysia that I know, the same line. Father God, thank you for the food. Bless it and nourish it to our body in Jesus' name. I was surprised. You mean you didn't learn that? No, I don't. Psalm 23? No. <laughs> I was like, wow. It's exactly word for word. It has turned into a religion. I'm grateful to God beyond the food. Amen? I'm grateful to God for you. I'm grateful that I'm here. It's a posture of life. It's not a line that we say before we eat the food because if you don't say grace, Gordon, you're going to get stomachache. (laughs) You believe that because you didn't read the Word of God for yourself. Right? Right? Oh, I like this, man. You fire me up. I think we're just getting warmed up. Yeah. Right. I hate religion. And, yeah, I know. Okay. I think let's, we have to close with that. <laughs> Pastor Kevin hates religion. We should, we should close. We're so glad you've been listening in. If you'd like to know more about us, follow us on Insta at Zealous Pune or visit us online at zealous.community.